Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the American Horticultural Society, celebrating 100 years of trusted, high-quality gardening and horticultural information and community since 1922. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As we tend toward the autumnal equinox on September 22nd, here in the Northern Hemisphere, we enter a period of time full of sacred, seasonal celebrations and observances based on the cycles of the moon, of the sun, and of the growing season ending, and, through harvest and the subsequent dormancy following, simultaneously beginning again. Late summer to early fall holds the Islamic and Jewish New Year celebrations, early harvest celebrations around the Northern Hemisphere, and a shift in the light and color and garden foods and flavors, fragrances and flowers of our days. This week, Cultivating Place offers out the first in a two-part series on the sacred of the everyday in our seasonal garden lives, the first in conversation with London-based photographer, artist, and vicar's wife, Kristen Peerers, whose works and days are intentionally grounded in bits of nature and color foraged all around her, wherever she may be. Kristen joins us today to share more about her abiding passions and what the everyday sacred means in action in ways that are seasonally grounded by year and seasonally oriented across her life. Welcome, Kristen. I'm so pleased to be in conversation with you today around these sacred and everyday topics of seasons and gardens and life. Oh, it's such an honor to be here, Jennifer. I'm going to try and pull myself back and uh, ask you to describe for listeners, what do you do? And if you had a personal mission statement for how and why you include and find integral to your artistic and everyday life, plants and their colors and forms and phases, what might that mission statement be? Like, why is it important that plants and their flowers and colors and forms are part of what you do? When I was thinking about speaking with you, I went back to the name of your podcast, which is Cultivating Place. And that's what interests me, is places and how they shape us. I think in my 30s, I wrote a book called The Seasonal Home. And it was all about connecting with the seasons through the way you lived at home and the small changes from nature that you could bring indoors and tune your life to these rhythms of nature. I was in that phase in my life, I was a young mother and making a home to nurture my family. And now next week I turn 59 and I've embarked on a project that that sort of pulls back and looks at a wider rhythm. And it's more of a seasonal life. And I feel like with age has come this ability to see a wider perspective. And I suppose my work as a photographer too, I, I almost look at, I, I, I literally look at life through lenses and using that as a metaphor you know, I'm looking through a wider lens now and have a more layered picture. And also 
you know, at, at my age, I, I have a few lenses in my kit bag too. So I, I'm seeing life not only in a seasonal yearly cycle, but in the cycles of, of our lives. And nature for me has always been this place that I go to to see where I fit into all of that. It's, it's a great teacher. And, you know, there's to everything, there is a season. Well, if that's so, what season am I? So I find myself on this journey. And since I wrote my first book, you know, life as life does, there's, there's been some knocks and you know, the, that nest I was making for my young family, you know, didn't quite turn out how I wanted it to be. And, um, you know, there were some, there were some breaks and my, my marriage fell apart. My first marriage fell apart. Um, and, you know, so, so going on and, and I, I think what I've experienced in terms of loss or grief in the last two years, I've lost both my parents. Um, but, you know, th this is not unusual. This is, you know, for someone in their 50s, this is to be expected and it's, it's natural. Um, and I feel like the, the experiences I've had are just human experiences. I, I just think tuning into the cycles of nature, though, and and more and more I turn to this has has really helped get me get me through and 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 see where I am within this. Where were you born and raised and who were the people and the places and the plants that grew you into a woman for whom these different iterations and different lenses and the inclusion of nature and plants and their teachings would be an important value, Kristen. Well, I was I was born in Chicago, but we moved to Florida when I was six. So I think I, I started out in Chicago with a sense of the seasonal world and also the sense of a big city. Chicago was very vibrant at that time, and we moved just after the riots of the Democratic Convention in 1968. We, we literally packed up the Country Squire station wagon and drove down to Florida, where my dad had bought a small local business selling office supplies. And the experience of that was something I always describe it as as in the Wizard of Oz, the, the, the film, when, when Dorothy gets to Oz and suddenly everything goes to color. Mm. So we'd, you know, we'd move from Chicago, which is this, you know, snowy, snowy landscape and, you know, urban in, environment to this bright eternal summer with the beautiful flowers and the flora and fauna. And we moved to an area that's called the Space Coast. So we were about, we're about 30 minutes just south of Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy. So it was a very exciting time. You know, there was the space exploration going on. There was a real sense of adventure about the place and huge skies, open 
landscapes, long horizons. Um, and I think that, I think the landscape really shaped me. And that dislocation, relocation um, with such really epic differences in landscape. I mean, the American, you know, northern Midwest and Chicago, um, like the landscape couldn't be almost more different than the the lush, tropical, warm, sunny, colorful, and mythic landscape of that part of Florida. So that had to be really, really formational at that age. So talk a little bit more about if there was incorporation of plants into your everyday life at this point. My parents built a house. It, we lived on an island. It was a barrier island. It is a barrier island. So it's a very long, thin strip of land between the Atlantic Ocean and what was then called the Indian River and is now called the Indian River Lagoon. And my parents uh, built a house and in the garden, there were trees called gumbo limbo trees. And I don't know if you know them, but they are, they, yeah, they were sort of the, the northernmost area that they grow. But we had this huge gumbo limbo in our backyard. And my father built a tree fort for us in it. And I spent, well, I spent much of my childhood up a tree. It really just punctuated that sense of adventure and being outdoors. And and for listeners who might not be aware of a gumbo limbo tree, they are uh, sort of semi-evergreen and they're enormous. They can get to 60 feet with really large branching canopies. And so I, I love that image too, Kristen, of this you know, kind of larger than life tree uh, with the larger than life ocean and skies, all putting Kristen into perspective as a young person. There was, I remember I set out one summer to try and climb every tree in our town that I could get to. But also, you know, what was very important for me too is my, my mom and the house that she made my mom was a painter, but she was also, she'd studied drama and she was very musical. So she was, she was really into the arts in so many ways. And she made a house once they, once they designed and built the house, I think the budget had run out, but you know, my mom just, just turned to sort of making things. So we needed uh, paintings for uh. the walls. And she just, she did a series of paintings of the flora and fauna, you know, of, of Florida. And she sewed and she did needlepoint. And, you know, so a lot of our time was spent going to the craft shop and she taught me to sew. And, you know, so I was really into making and she'd also made mm -hmm. this, you know, really incredible doll's house that was scaled <laughs> to a Barbie doll size. <laughs> and I spent hours playing with this, like to a much later age than I should have. I made dresses for the dolls. And I think that was the beginning of my, my fashion design career. Because we were in a small town in Florida and we didn't have these, you know, shops. I just, we just made things. Um, so I spent a year in Gainesville, Florida, 
And there I met Lacey Kreider, who became a great friend of mine. I want to mention her because she comes back later in the story because she became a landscape uh, architect and she's laid out my latest garden. But I met her at a bus stop in Gainesville when I was 18. And she was the person that got me to touch the earth. And I feel that where I grew up in Florida, although we were surrounded by all this nature and there was wildness there, you know, Florida is, a, is very, uh, the, the wild is really wild. And you're talking rattlesnakes, you're talking alligators, you know, so, you know, in a lot of ways, you got to stick to the path, you know. And, and, and also in our small town, one of the customs was when they built houses, they took down all the trees and they put in grass. And the grass there is so thick, it's this St. Augustine grass, which is beautiful, but it's so thick and tropical, you, you can't get a shovel through it. So in, in ways, it's really hard to get to that wildness, to touch you know, the earth in a really substantial way. I mean, we did it through empty lots. You know, that, that was where we, we, we could actually make and be and you know, get our hands in that, it, it was more sand. But, um, but Lacey was a really important friendship for me. And her father lives on a lake in a house built by his hands and knows every plant in the swamp and would take us on canoe rides and really showed me a different side of Florida uh, and something that stayed with me. And, and in a way, it was sort of a necessary emergence possibly before I moved to Manhattan. And perhaps it was memory of Chicago. You know, I, I wanted to, to go back to the bright lights in the big city and, and I was making all these, you know, all my clothing and I wanted someplace to wear it, you know. This is Cultivating Place, with the new moon on September 6th and the autumnal equinox in the Northern Hemisphere on September 22nd, we are exploring the sacred in our garden seasons and cycles this week in conversation with London-based photographer, designer, nature lover, and vicar's wife, Kristen Piers. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners like you and by support from the American Horticultural Society. As the AHS turns 100, their focus on quality, seasonal horticultural information is more needed than ever. In the past years, they have doubled down on integrating science, education, community, social responsibility, environmental stewardship, and joy in this gardening world with their programs, reciprocal admissions at public gardens, and their in-depth journal, The American Gardener. 
Keep your eyes and ears open for the Society's virtual garden market beginning October 4th, a portion of the proceeds from which go to support educational programs of the AHS. Listeners of Cultivating Place receive a $10 discount on annual individual membership to the AHS. So, for your annual membership to the American Horticultural Society for the special cultivating place rate of just $25 a year, head on over to www.ahsgardening.org forward slash CP. No matter how old you are, there's always more to learn about growing. Hey, it's Jennifer. Abiding. What a good word abiding passions, interests, relationships, responsibilities, seasonal cycles. I am pondering these ideas, the strength in this language, as well as in the concepts. To abide is to endure, to remain, to stay. I think of plants maybe particularly the native plants of any of our current places, and the the plants that have been introduced and adapted to become contributing participants. I'm thinking of the relationship between abiding and abode, where we live and make our places, and of the relationship between faith and abiding, faith and our gardening impulses to live in faithful relationship to our chosen plant communities. I often see the greatest gifts of my own ancestors, from great-great-grandfathers to great-aunts and uncles to mother and father, and now to my children, and one day perhaps to theirs. I see the greatest gifts of these, the culture and faith at its best of our planted lives. The growing garden year grounding me and abiding in me far more strongly and instinctively than so much else. It is a faith I can lean into. It is a faith I can keep growing on. We're back now to our conversation with Kristen Peers, artist, photographer, and vicar's wife, exploring the sacred in the everyday of our nature-based garden lives. When we left off, Kristen had described her early life on Florida's Space Coast in the 1960s and 70s. As we come back to our conversation, Kristen has documented her own making of a seasonal home for her family in her first book, and she shares more on this with us. Just as my book, The Seasonal Home, was published, my marriage started to break up. That was a really difficult time in my life. And um, I mean, I always like Brene Brown's description of her sort of, uh, what, what does she call it? Sort of her emotional breakdown, but spiritual uprising. <laughs> And I think for me, you know, it was just one of those really energized times in my life that, that this, 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 this awful thing was happening. Um, but also something 
else was arising at that 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 were layered and they were happening at once and it was it it was so tough because i feel like with my marriage like we never lost our love for each other but we lost our marriage it was also a time of huge learning and huge creativity and huge expansion one of the things that i did to get myself through on my walks take bits of nature home and say i need to do one painting a day one very simple painting a day and it was often just rose petals in the east end in the areas i was going some of the houses had front gardens and i knew some of the parks i could walk through where the roses were blooming and i would take the petals home and i did a whole series of just painting a, a rose petal a day and just exploring the color the shape and the the feeling and the 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 you know the it it was almost like i was just trying to simplify and get to the source and i was trying to do that with my life as well you know with two young children you you don't have a lot of time so the painting got naturally very distilled down to something quite essential and i used a very watery uh painting technique so you know, the 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 whole time i'm working with this it's like a staining technique i work with a lot you know you're you're learning what you can control and what you can't control what you can hold on to and what you have to let go of what you, you know it's it, what mistakes that happen that you just need to go with or where you have to come and back and say uh-uh no no i i i had a vision of this that i'm going to stick with you know so the the whole uh ritual of painting is such a lesson and and the the inspiration for that for me has always you know almost always been something in nature that 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 moves me to paint your work at this point involves several different streams of of advocacy and outreach including the flower factory studio your life at the vicarage and um and then your own personal artistic expression which is is very deep into this seasonality and color foraging maybe kind of talk about how these three things show up in your life and um, and maybe even how they, they work together. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, <laughs> that's something I'm still trying to figure out myself. I gotta tell you. <laughs> right, yeah. right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, 60 is coming into focus for me and I see my, my life as this patchwork quilt you know, which have all these different things from color foraging to fashion, to my painting, to my, my Florida garden, you know, my, my work right now is to try and make sense of that. I think to, to try and pull that, that quilt together. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And here I find myself in a place I, I never dreamed of being, 
on, on the edge of London, married to a vicar 10 years now, living uh, in a, you know, this incredible uh, old vicarage, which, which is unique in that it's, comp it's, it's attached to the church through tunnels, through the vestry, and through the tower. So there's all these, it's maybe a little bit like, like my tree fort. It's sort of my adult, you know, place of adventure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. A perch from uh, which to see the world. Yeah, yeah. And then you talk about, you know, the lenses in my kit bag. And, you know, I'm really pulling back to a much wider lens that now includes community you know it's not just friendship it's not just my personal art and my best friend and my family it's 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 pulling back to a wider community and the word abiding comes to mind and in fact when we were married a, a very good friend of williams who's also a anglican priest did a sermon in that he used the word abiding. And he talked about us, William and I, being called to a place that, that we didn't really choose, that actually chose us. And, and about this sense of being here and making the best of what you've got. Um, which, I, which I find, you know, just... Uh, really challenging. Um, uh, the the area that we live in is it's said to be the highest concentration of people of faith in all of Europe mm -hmm. because it has uh, we're we're located right in the middle of um, a very large Hasidic Jewish population and also a very large uh, Muslim population and. Our, our particular church is mostly African and Caribbean. So it's a real mix. It, it sounds from your description, Kristen, like the, the richness of that diversity in community there kind of disallows you from living in a bubble or isolating or, or picking and choosing who you see or who you hear um, and asks you to be a participant in, in a much more active way than some environments, um, than some environments do. Well, it's, it, it's called me to come out of my, my life of a freelancer. So as a freelancer, you, you, you do a job and then you move on. You know, and, and you never stay within a job long enough that you get involved in the, in the company politics. You know, you, you can be slightly outside of it. But with this, and certainly being married to the vicar who's very much involved in community, it's that staying power. Right. We've been married 10 years. William has been here 11 years, and I've been here 10 and um, I found one of my first roles as vicar's wife is I thought, well, I can, I can look after the church garden. I think that's where I can find my feet as, as a vicar's wife. You know, that'll be, that'll be my way in. 
And one of the first things I found myself doing is, is a huge developer came along and was offering lots of money to the church to build over the garden. Oh, God. And of course, this is a, a, a poor church. It, every month we're, we're, we're supposed to be giving money to the, the main church, but, but we're actually costing much more than we're giving, you know. So, so something like this to be able to sell off the church garden is, you know, is something that needs to be considered. And, and I found myself very vocally actually going up against my husband in front of the the area dean speaking up for this sacred place which was the church garden because who else was going to speak up for it 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 didn't have a voice and it was it, it was that was an interesting crossroad for me yeah because um i i started to find my voice and what happened? Oh, we still have a church garden. <laughs> <laughs> this is Cultivating Place. As we work our way toward the autumnal equinox in the Northern Hemisphere on September 22nd, this week we are in the first of a two-part series on the sacred in our everyday garden lives, seasons, and cycles. In conversation, with London-based photographer, designer, nature lover, and vicar's wife, Kristen Peers. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Thinking out loud this week, I really see constancy as another form of abiding. Seasonal cycles, they are constants life forms and phonology of our plant friends. That is constant and abiding. And I want to shout out to the constancy of you listeners of Cultivating Place. Many of you here from the beginning and many more of you now than when we started this growing conversational journey five years ago. Sometime in the past two months, CP crossed the line of more than one million listens in its lifetime. Wow. One million listens. Thank you all for being out there, for growing along together in how we think about, talk about, value the positive impact of what it can mean to garden and to be a gardener together. Gardeners together. Welcome to you new listeners and new donors. Without listeners and without donors, I literally could not do what I do. I could not do what I do without your support and presence. And I certainly couldn't do it with the abiding tenacity that I do it with now. Every listener on air, through the stations, or through the podcast matters to me. Every subscriber to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, matters to me. And every dollar of support through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com matters to me. It supports me and sustains me in collaboration with Matt and Sarah and Angel, who does the tech work at NSPR, to create this expansive 
thought-provoking, growing content week after week. That is endurance. That is abiding. Thank you, subscribers to the podcast. Thank you to donors of this work. Whether you give $5 or $50 a month, you all make this work possible and sustainable. A few things to know and a few things I would love to ask of you. First, while I don't transcribe each week's conversation, I do write up what I call show notes for each episode, and those are posted every week under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. These posts always include beautiful, expanding, and enlivening images from the week's conversation. At the bottom of each post each week is the section called Thinking Out Loud This Week. Go there for the written version, often longer, of my podcast break thoughts to you. Many of you have asked me about these recently, so I figured I'd walk you through it. Finally, if the program as a whole or individual episodes move you or get you thinking, please let me know in comments on Instagram or through email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, and share these episodes, share this podcast forward with your family, your friends, your garden club, your book club, your networks on social media. This organic and heartfelt sharing is what has grown us to 46,000 monthly listens. And it is this ever-expanding network of caring cultivators of place that I truly believe can help grow our world better. One garden and one gardener at a time together. We're back now to our conversation with photographer Kristen Peers, exploring the sacred in the everyday of our garden lives. When we left off, Kristen was describing her own involvement, advocating to preserve the vicarage garden at the church where her husband of 10 years is the vicar in East London. In time, the garden and church community has come to include the aesthetic voices and energies and work of Worm London, a creative floral design studio now ensconced in part of the church hall. Worm is the vision of two women, Katie and Terry, both inspired by many things, starting with the imperfect wildflowers that grew around them as girls on the coast of Southern Ireland. As we come back, Kristen shares her own collaboration with Worm on a 2020 exhibit for British Flowers Week at the Garden Museum of London, which is incidentally housed in an old church. That came about through a commission that that Worm had, or uh, they, they'd been asked to do a, a stand for British Flower Week at the museum. And Terry and Katie, who are Worm, and I, we would have cups of tea in the church hall and, and talk about place and talk about faith. And, you know, their, their sort of Irish Catholic background very much fit into the church life. And, and they understood the quirkiness and had brought their own particular stories. So they, they asked me to collaborate 
on this. And the, the reference point that they wanted to give was uh, there was a certain time of year and that they were asked, I think it was May Day, to go pick flowers for the altar. And, and everyone in Ireland would make these, these altars. And it was, it was almost like a show or almost a, a competition is how they described it. And they said that you weren't allowed to pick the flowers in the garden any other time of year, but, but for this, you know, you could go into the garden and pick the flowers. And that was such a thrill. <laughs> and, and I think Terry described like going past the hanging laundry going past the sheets into the back of the garden to get those, those spring bulbs, those, you know, bluebells um, that were, that were coming up, you know, just through talking, we sort of developed this, this nature altar that we wanted to reference, you know, we really, that's what it became. And, and I did the textiles for this. So, so I did them. The metaphor was the sheets, you know, yeah. Um, and, and I derived the colors, not, not physically because they're not natural dyes. I, they're, they're a sort of staining technique that I use. Um, but I derived the, the, the tones and the colors from the flowers that, that Katie and Terry were using. These were strung up on a laundry line in the museum. We use this one part of the museum that was actually underneath this very modern, floating staircase and had a, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. the museum is actually an old church. So we had one of the the windows as our sort of focal point as well. And there was a big rock that Katie, you know, she, she lugs around to her displays, these rocks, you know, I don't know how she does it, but there was a, a big rock that became the, the altar. And we had, um, huge woven baskets of posies that uh, Katie and Terry had made up. And the idea was that people could come and participate. So, so by picking up a, you know, a posy and clipping it, there was another big basket of, of um, clothespins, wooden clothespins. And it was, it was sort of nudging people to to say a prayer, uh, pin something up, say a blessing, what, whatever they wanted to do, but to participate in this piece and how it changed and morphed over, you know, the, the week, 10 days that, that it was there. Um, and, and it was really interesting watching people when the exhibition opened. And they sort of came into the space. And I think because of the fabrics, you, you know, it did really feel like you were going into a sanctuary. And people became very quiet and reverential. And they took turns and sort of almost, you know, they, they made it, you know, a church. They participated in this this nudge of an altar and made it more so. And it was just, it was so interesting. Every image you just described for us, it's, it's, it's resonating so much with some of the early things you shared with us. Um, and that multi-layer 
narrative of the building that was a church mm-hmm. that became the Garden Museum that has recently had a big sort of renovation and, um, you know, reinvention itself. And then the the references with the everyday, with the natural, with the laundry, with the the dying of this fabric, and then having people, much like we go into a sacred space and light a candle, um, but offering up a posy and and a thought or a blessing as you um, pin it, like all of those narratives together are so beautiful, Kristen. There's so much, mm, mm. there's just a lot there. Mm. Well, and, you know, it, it just brings up that idea of the everyday sacred. Yes, yes. And now, and... and and so now we're living in this world that, you know, where, where is the sacred? Church attendance is dwindling. And I've spent the last 10 years literally right next door to this, what's considered a holy building, and walking in and out from my dining room to the vestry with this back door view of, of sort of backstage of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, William, William would be in there doing his thing, his blessings, and, and he has drawers of vestments, each one labeled for a different season or a different rites of passage for a lifetime, you know, baptism, confirmation, marriage, death. So all the while that this was going on, you know, I would also be in the kitchen cooking and going to the farmer's market, going into the garden, taking these bits of nature in from outside. And so the parallels for me started to become really significant and that we don't just leave church at the door. Right, right. And I think what has developed for me is reframing that. And just like we, we did at the Garden Museum, just starting to see altars everywhere. And the sacredness of the everyday, as yes. you said. And, and, and these are two sort of threads or lenses you are exploring um, so beautifully right now, this this everyday sacred and everyday altars combined with your, your color foraging because mm. they are sister activities, aren't they? It's really interesting. I mean, so in the church, the, you know, the colors is uh, black for death or mourning. Purple is for Lent and sorrow. Red is for martyrdom. It's blood and sacrifice. Green is for growth, for for teaching. And white is for festival days and celebrations. And just also, I think just naturally, if you go for a walk anywhere where you can be connected with nature, whether it's your local park or the woods or the meadows, the seasons also throw up a palette and it changes every week you know every month 
it changes. Y- you know, you, you can start to pull from these and colors become symbolic. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for me, and it might be a personal thing, but, but lavender, you know, that sort of lavender color, I should say more, that lavender, that pink is, is very, very spring. And of course, then you, you know, into the autumn, you, you get those fiery colors and, and the, the fire, they also, you know, really symbolize the burning of the year, the accumulation of the heat of the harvest. Um, the parallels, I, I've just become really fascinated with um, and exploring that and thinking about what rhythms and what rituals we have at home that connect us to the sacred. What are our home altars? And I know the sacred is a, it's a really big word, but when I think about the sacred, I think about um, what is worth fighting for. You know, what, what in your life is worth fighting for? Yeah. And, and the, the older I get, you know, more and more, it, it comes down to defending nature. And, and, and I almost want to put that question you just asked is what is worth raising our voices for? And, and you're, you're um, finding your voice in, in advocating for the yes maintaining of the sacred space of that church garden. So, you know, as we come to the end of this lovely exploration and conversation, when you, you look at our world over this last year, this last 10 years, this last 400 years, whatever it might be, and you think of these motifs and abiding curiosities of yours, why do you think these are important things for us all to be investing our energy and attention into? Why is this important inquiry in your uh, experience and articulation, Kristen? I think there's a sense of living in the world where where the mythic the spiritual world is alive and tangible I, I I feel like that's that's really important for us as humans and it's something that we can't touch we can't see so we try and give it shape through our myths, our stories, our art. And I think that these spaces are really important because it's a place for us to go where we feel part of something bigger. And I think all of us want to feel like we have a place in the world and that we, we matter, we have a connection. And so I think by connecting with the bigger picture of the seasonality of nature, we find our place within that. So I think that the, the journey that I've been on over the last 10 years of really really connecting back with my spirituality and and putting it up front and saying to myself, well, Kristen, you've already said you believe in God. 
what, what does that mean and how does that show up in your life? You know, how is that visible? And I, I use God, you know, in a very loose term. I, I think God has a, a very broad meaning. But there were, there have been a number of, um, shall I say, sort of heated discussions with, with my husband over the last 10 years about, about religion, about faith, about spirituality. And I started out, and, and here I am, I'm married to a man who has a degree in English from Oxford, a degree in theology from Cambridge, and a doctorate from Princeton. You know, and I, I have my two-year fashion design degree uh, from FIT. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sort of punching above my weight when it comes to these types of discussions. And, and I started out and just sort of saying, but, but I see God in the sunset. And boy, would his eyes roll, you know, just like, you, you've got to come up with something more than that. And I thought, you know what, I do, I, I need to try and articulate this. And so I think that's what I've been trying to do is art articulate and make visible this sense of feeling the power. Yeah, yeah. And trusting in Mother Nature <laughs> and what that means. And in the end, it is something as simple as, you know, but I see God in the sunset. But it's trying to build up also the confidence and maybe a bit more backstory so that I can say that. Um, and I was, I was caught in the pandemic and, and stranded in Florida. Uh, and I was there for over four months. And I was, I was in a house that I had just bought. And I'd, I'd bought it with some money that my mom left me after she died. And it had always been a dream to have a little place of my own on the Space Coast. And, a, you know, a dream of my sister as well. And, and my brother still lives there. And, you know, we'd sold mom's house. And I had to really, really think about it. But in the end, I plunged in. And I went against all advice of everybody who's, you know, very practical. You must put your money in the stock market and you know, <laughs> carefully invest it and this and that and da 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 da. And no, I, I put it all into this little 1950s bungalow. And I bought it without ever walking inside it. I had never been inside. My my sister came in. She she helped me out. She owns twelve percent of it, but we met at the front door, got the keys that were under the mat, and walked in. Opened a bottle of champagne, and uh, that was the first time we we'd been inside. So we really took a chance. We we'd walked around outside, and it's right in the neighborhood I grew up in, and it's it's two minutes from from the ocean that I grew up on. And so I had my return flight. I was supposed to be there for a month to sort of move in and get it, you know, livable, put some beds in there, get it up and going. 
Um, and the idea was to return every, every year, maybe twice a year seasonally, migrating there like I'd been doing for 30 years. Every, every March, I, I flew back to Florida like a bird. Um, and it was during that time, the, you know, as I said, when the, when the pandemic hit, it was also coming up to the first anniversary of my mom's death. And when the world turned upside down, uh, you know, like many of us, you can get hooked into the news cycle and I would wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, check, check my phone and think, you know, almost sort of like, are we still here? Right. <laughs> you know, is, is the world still here? And after a little bit of that, I was like, this has got to stop. No more, no more scrolling. And I went down to the beach and I started re-hooking into my morning yoga practice. And I connected in this, you know, this, this liminal space, this coastline that, that it's, it's, it's a meeting place of energies, isn't it? The, the land meeting the sea. And, you know, facing east, so I was facing the rising sun. You know, I felt this energy because I felt it was the sun was almost like a ball that my, my sons were throwing me because they'd already had it, you know, they, they were, they were past midday now. And, and now I was getting the sun, you know, and it, it, the, the physicality of it all felt really, really visceral and slowly my practice, I, I slowly uncurled from the, not only the London, London colds, but from what was happening in the world. And as time went on, I realized also that I started out feeling very, you know, I, I hadn't practiced in a while and, you know, I, I felt very, very out of sorts. And slowly I began to feel more and more in place. And it was things like during the balance poses, which I had always found difficult. And they meant a lot to me because my mom died of dementia. And apparently one of the first things that, that goes when you get dementia can be your sense of balance. So if ever I wobbled a little bit in a yoga practice, I just got this, oh. So I sort of put a lot of emphasis on, on being able to do this. And um, I remember looking around and, and finding my balance, but also finding it with the grasses that were surrounded me. Mm -hmm. Because when they swayed in the wind, I would too. And it was, uh, I just became one. And it was because everything else around me was elegant. I became elegant too. Ah. And I saw in such a real way that if, if I was from this same element, the same nature, I was created by the same thing that created this scene in front of me, that I, in whatever state I'm in, must have grace. 
because everything in front of me did. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful place to end right there, Kristen. Mm. Mm. Because that could be a shell. It could be the rose petals you painted for days on end. It could be the church garden and it's us Mm. too. Can I add one more thing? Absolutely. (laughs) There was a day I went down to the beach and it rained and the waves were really rough and high and there was no place for me to practice. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go home and practice at home. Because after all, when I return to London, that, you know, I want to carry on this practice and this is what I'm going to have to do anyways. So I went home and the obvious place to practice was in the entranceway where the sort of side table could be almost my, like my sunrise. So I started practicing there and the floor felt really hard. And the the ceiling in comparison to the sky felt really low. And every time I went for downward dog, I I wasn't looking at the sun rising. I was looking at at sort of dust on the floorboards and a stain on the the skirting, you know, and I was getting distracted. And, you know, I I sort of wasn't finding serenity. I I was finding a list of things to do. And something in the back of my mind said, go outside, pick a flower. And I had planted these hibiscus flowers, and one was called sunset. It wasn't sunrise, it was sunset. <laughs> but I plucked it, I put it in a bowl of water, I put it at my dristi, my focal point in front of me. I put on some music that was the sound of the waves, and I lit a some incense so i started recreating the sensory uh feelings that nature gave naturally at home and that's where i really felt like i brought the sacred home and i you know in a very clear way made an altar and that but the metaphor is always nature. Nature is the original altar. That sunrise is the original altar. And everything we do is trying to remember that. And I think that's where it all started to, that was the link where everything started to make sense. Um, And I feel like my, my voice and my argument meant with my husband uh, I see God in the sunrise I, I, I'm starting to find words for it thank you very much for being a guest on the program today it has been such a a treat um, and a pleasure and uh, a relief to speak with you today no oh, well thank you Jennifer Kristen Peers is a London-based artist, photographer, light and color forager, and vicar's wife, whose works and days are intentionally grounded in the bits of nature all around her, wherever she might be. 
She is the owner and founder of the Flower Factory Studio, a creative space for makers and artists, very close to the Columbia Road Flower Market in London. Her book, The Seasonal Home, was published in 1998, and she's currently at work on a book exploring the sacred in the everyday and the altars we find and make and grow all around us. Listen in next week when we continue our discussion about the everyday and seasonal sacred in our garden lives in conversation with Rabbi Arthur Waskow, author of Seasons of Our Joy. With the Islamic New Year in mid-August, the Jewish New Year of Rosh Hashanah on the new moon September 6th, the Jewish celebration of harvest at Sukkot, being celebrated from September 20th with the full moon through the 27th and the equinox on the 22nd. These are conversations deeply rooted in time and seasonal cycles. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. It is made possible by listeners just like you. Through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Also, through support from the American Horticultural Society. To read more and see many seasonally poignant images from Kristen Peer's seasonal and artistic life, head over to this week's show notes under the podcast tab every week at cultivatingplace.com. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler and producer and development director Sarah Bohannon. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.